Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Delighted today to be joined by Amy Pethick, Ops Manager at BP, and Nadine Goodship, Retail Operations Manager at BP. Hi, Amy. Nadine, how are you? Hello. Good, thank you. Hi, very well. Thank you, Simon. Good. Thanks for joining us. I'm really looking forward to this episode. It's uh, going to be some good topic. We're going to talk about workforce management. We're going to talk about recruitment. And I think really interestingly, the kind of the future of your business as we move out of fossil fuels into whatever it's going to be, EV, hydrogen. So a big change in your operating model that clearly you guys know about, but it'd be good to talk through. But before we get into the detail, let's find out a little bit more about you. So if we start with you, Amy, tell us a bit about your career history, what you've done, where you've worked, how you ended up working at BP and in the role you're doing today. Cool. Thank you. So um, I am retail through and through. Um, it's it's a massive passion of mine. Um, since I was 16, working on the, the shop floor of Mothercare, um, just got the buzz for customers. So um, when I was 18, I moved to Argos head office and I spent a good seven years there. Uh, believe it or not, I am a chartered accountant um, and did my studying with those guys um, and then moved to the bright lights of London um, after seven years with Argos to John Lewis. Um, I did multiple roles at John Lewis, um, including uh, operations manager for John Lewis Milton Keynes, um, a finance role, and then uh, productivity uh, within group, uh, which covered John Lewis and Waitrose. I then left them and went over to Homebase um, and was their head of commercial finance before becoming the program manager of OPEX. Um, I'm definitely more of a customer facing person than a spreadsheet kind of girl. Um, and then after three years, um, decided to take a great opportunity at BP um, as the OPEX manager. And I've been here for about 15 months now in total. A varied retail career. It's really strange, actually. There's lots of people I speak to that work in retail i used to work with a few colleagues at boots that were or trained as accountants in retail but then kind of migrating into the the operations part is a really nice balance of skills yeah definitely it's definitely a great balance of skills i think you're either one or the other but it definitely gives you a good grounding and the ability to manage all those spreadsheets that you get sent <laughs> something like that <laughs> nadine tell us again a bit about yourself where where you've come from um, Amy said you've been around in BP longer than her. Yeah, I've been around a little bit longer. So I've been in BP for 18 years. But my story, story is similar to Amy's. So like most people, um, never intended um, to go into retail, but got my love of retail from the age of 16 uh, when I had a part-time job with my uh, local cooperative uh, society. So I've got a real love for retail um, thanks to the co-op. Um, progressed my way up into various store management positions um, and then went into their central support team as a systems and um, merchandising uh, manager. Worked for the co-op for, for nine years um, and then I went to work for the BP and Safeway partnership as it was. Um, did a number of store management uh, roles with, uh, with the partnership um, and also did um, a year in marketing and did other various retail operation support um, roles within the BP Safeway partnership. Um, I then joined BP, um, and for my first year in BP, I joined the trading team, so as a convenience specialist, uh, and then looked after the previous uh, BP and Safeway partnership stores, um, because if you recall, Morrison's uh, took over from, from Safeway at that time, so I had the opportunity to integrate 
our previous partnership stores back into BP. Um, I then did uh, a number of um, operations roles. So as an area manager for, for seven years, um, I've also been the operational excellence manager, uh, training manager, um, assurance manager. And more recently, I spent uh, two years in our trading um, team as the as the UK food service manager before doing my current role, which I've done for nearly two years now, which is the uh, retail operations uh, manager role. So, yeah, operations uh, through and through. It's uh, it's it's a love and a passion of mine. Um, love um, serving our store teams and uh, supporting our customers. Amazing. So we've had a blast from the past from Amy and Mothercare. Yours is Safeways. So if I, my, my career is very similar, started on the shop floor at 16 and all that kind of stuff. So I'll add do it all and focus DIY there, my blast from the past, which some people listening will recognise all, th- all three, four of those brands. Some will have no idea what we're talking about. Um, and it, it, it's, it's very strange, isn't it? Because I think you both said it. Re- retail is almost that accidental career. Nobody goes to school and then to the careers advisor and they say, actually, actually, you, you're going to go and work in retail. It's all, you know, this this type of job, that type of job. But everybody that falls into it seems to love it. It's just so fast paced. And, and, and the roles we're very lucky, Nadine and I, in the roles that we're in, we get to make we get to see our immediate um, reaction on the shop floor so you know if something's worked or not um, and our colleagues certainly tell us don't they Nadine so um, that's one of the passions actually it's um, I couldn't work in a role that was a slow burn um, it's it's good to see immediate reactions yeah and colleagues and customers keep you on their toes don't they because they're, oh, they're different yes. every day Absolutely. <laughs> so Nadine let's find out a bit more about BP because I know we've worked with you guys a little bit, but I find the kind of various ownership models fascinating, scale massive. So just give us a broad overview of kind of how, in simple terms, BP works. Yeah, no, no problem, Simon. I mean, you touched earlier the fact that we're, we're, we're moving away from, from being an oil business. And actually, we regard ourselves as an integrated energy business, which is, which is really quite important. We've got operations um, in Europe, in North and South America. Australasia, Asia and and Africa and essentially we're split into three primary business groups. So the first one is um, what we call production and operations and and this sector very much focuses on producing hydrocarbon energy and energy products that uh, that the world needs. The the second um, um, area is customers and products and that's where Amy and I sit uh, sit within. So the the primary focus uh, for customers and products is to deliver convenience, mobility and energy products and and services for the future. And finally, we have our gas and low carbon energy sector. Um, And this 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 team um, create low carbon energy products and uh, they're responsible for the development of decarbonisation technology. So three three core business um, groups um, form part uh, part of BP. Um, as I said, Amy and I sit within customers and products um, within within the UK. And then just to give you an idea of the UK business, so we have we have um, company owned stores, we have company owned, company operated. That's um, what I look after. So I look after 320 co sites, um, but we also have our dealer business, which, which actually is 900 um sites um across the uk and, and actually amy's role is is channel agnostic i won't talk too much about that she'll talk about that in a minute but her role is her team looks after both the company owned and the and the dealer operated um sites within the uk 
out of our 320 company-owned sites, 288 of those sites have our M&S convenience food offer. Um, so we we have a, a strategic partnership uh, with M&S, um, which is really critical and a core part of our convenience offer. So lot, lots of sites, <laughs> lots, of, lots of different offerings, um, global. So some real challenges you must see, certainly in the market you work in, but also from some of your peers across the world one of the things that is absolutely top of everybody's agenda at the moment that we speak to regardless if it be retail manufacturing supply chain warehousing is people yeah so trying to get people trying to keep people trying to incentivize people that must be you know massively massively challenging in your world because we're not just talking about the scale but you guys are pretty much open 24 7 in in most environments is my guess start with you start with unidine what how do you kind of combat that because we're seeing supermarkets just paying people more it's not all about pay get that but the scale of that operation must give you some headaches sleepless nights yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it is something that's impacting, uh, you know, retail and the hospitality sector quite significantly. So, you know, attrition is a huge concern at the moment. And I think uh, a recent McKinsey report um, showed that 83% of retailers are really struggling with recruitment. And um, and we've certainly, certainly experiencing the same at the moment. Cost of living is obviously also at the forefront of people's minds. So, so that that's something that we're really trying to work to support our store teams with. And some of the things that we've tried to do to um, support uh, support our people and support attrition is um, we've looked at things like increasing staff discount, you know, focusing very much on what we can do to retain our, and look after our current uh, workforce. Uh, we've, we're looked, we've looked at um, um, enhanced perks at work. We've had to increase the hourly rate, especially in some of our remote um, locations and, and those areas where it's historically always been difficult to recruit in. Um, but there's also there's other things we've been focusing on as well. So the the need to focus on um, on development of our people and, and really for them to see that um, they they can have a career with us and stay with us for the for the long term. So people want to see that they can have a future. So we've just recently launched uh, a new pathways development program to develop our people through the business and uh, we've focused on doing self-advocacies we've recently had a, a grow week which has been a great collaboration from across the business really demonstrating how we can support our team's uh, development uh, we provide a number of secondment um, opportunities so very much focusing on looking after our people uh, retaining them and, and showing them that they've got a future within within our business we have had to increase pay rates. I mean, that that has been necessary um, to do that. And, you know, we'll do regular benchmarking with our competitors. But one thing that we've been quite proactive with recently is we actually increased our pay rate ahead of the um, most recent real living wage um, announcement. So making sure that um, we, we are competitive um, has, has, been, has been really, really important there's other things we've we've done as well. So um, looking at we've had to reduce trading hours in in some of our sites um, because sometimes it's just not possible to maintain a a 24 hour business in in some areas. So you know there are lots of different things we've we've had to do to um, combat the recruitment challenges that uh, we're currently facing. 
Another trial we've done as well is, um, is flexible working for management. So we already have some very good flexible working arrangements for our team members. But in retail, um, looking at flexible working for management is, is something that's actually quite unique. So giving our managers the opportunity to work shorter, um, shorter, shorter amount of days in a week, but longer hours and be able to flex that from week to week to help with their work-life balance and also to reduce costs actually in terms of fuel costs and, and going to their site on, on a regular on a regular basis. So yeah, lots, lots of things we've we've we have done and we will continue to to look to support our people in the best way we can. Yeah, and just um if you don't mind, I'll, I'll chip into that. Nadine's absolutely right in some of the stuff that we're, we're covering. What's really, um, I suppose, as a newbie, and I'm still claiming newbie after 15 months at BP. 15 months, that, that's a claim still, but that's, that's, we'll, we'll let you off. <laughs> um, it, what's really shocked me coming into BP is how um, how. F- it's it's got this family feel in every site that I go to, particularly in the co sites that Nadine looks after. And actually, what we can see from some of our stats is if we manage to retain people for a year, we tend to keep them for life. There's, if you go into any one of our sites in in our co sites, you will be looking at lengths of service 20, 25, 30 years. Um, and I'm always astounded by that. And, and one of the main drivers is, is that family feel. And the other is our focus on our values. I've never worked for a business where values aren't just sort of, and I say this politely, chucked up on a wall. They are lived and breathed every single day uh, throughout BP. And I, I think that's one of the reasons that people stay for so long. Um but I obviously sit in a European role. So my role obviously looks after the UK, but I sit as part of uh, a European team, uh, which covers sort of Portugal, um, Austria, uh, Poland, uh, all the way over to Turkey. And although, I mean, Nadine's got uh, her work cut out with attrition. I mean, Poland is seeing something like 50% attrition at the moment. Turkey seeing inflation rate around 82%. Um and although that, that that is awful, what it really allows us to do is learn from each other. So we're not coming up with the ideas just on our own in the UK, but actually we're sharing best practice across the continent. So where we can trial things um, and we don't have to wait for capacity within the UK, actually we can start trialing them in other markets and then do a mass rollout. It just allows us to be a little bit more agile. So some real benefits in that global mm. business bit, but just, just circling back on a couple of those bits i think the bit nadine that that really hit me was because of your scale you've just got mass opportunity so if you think of some different businesses where they might have 300 400 sites in the uk towns and cities because of your scale company or dealer that's a massive opportunity once i've hit that kind of 12 months i'm staying to get on and move on, which I think is a big blocker in lots of other organisations at the moment because they've scaled back leadership roles and teams so much that to get to the next level up, I've probably got to move. Is that is that fair? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think that um, we've certainly had, you know, as a result from our, our poll surveys, you know, people want to want to see it, see those those career progression opportunities. And um, I think we're, we're very fortunate in our in our organisation that actually we will support our um, colleagues um, um, quite, quite significantly with their development. And actually nothing's nothing's off. Um, um, 
no opportunities are, are limited. So we can have people uh, from our sites that have gone into multidiscipline, they've gone into HR, they've gone into marketing, they've gone into they've gone into IT, they've gone into various trading roles. I and, tend to steal Nadine's best store managers for my <laughs> team as well. <laughs> she, does, she does, but you know what? It it works really well. And um and I think also enriches our organization. So the more people we have coming from our stores into the broader uh, positions in our business who understand what it's like to work at the coalface, who understand the needs of our customers and the challenges that we have. Actually, we, we've, we've seen huge benefits there. So, um, yeah, I'm, 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 re- I'm really um, proud of um, the way that we support our people with, with, um, with progression in the business. Excellent. And it was good to hear about kind of the, the other bits you're doing around, you know, working a, working above the real national living wage clearly there's lots of competition and, and those costs are only going to go up as cost of living goes up national living wage moves again next year so it's really good that you're pushing the boundaries there but also being creative with the trial with the management teams being more flexible because i think as you've kind of described it's become much more around the overall package and opportunity rather than the hourly rate or the salary people that are just focusing on that point kind of miss the bigger picture so some some really good stuff that's happening there let's move it forward into kind of some of your world amy Mm. um productivity workforce management operating models all the stuff that kind of we work with as you know and and you Mm. work with some people find it really interesting other people probably now be hitting the fast forward button that's fair um but we'll we'll keep chatting about it so you guys are on a bit of a journey with operating model workforce management you've talked about kind of across Europe and then the world as we know everybody does something slightly different in different ways clearly there's lots of legal implications from a pay point of view and contract but just kind of sum up to us where where your productivity journey is at the moment and some of the things that you're doing yeah of course it's funny isn't it productivity and and labor modeling in in itself has moved on such a long way i remember creating the labor model via excel at john lewis many moons ago um, and now we've got these jazzy systems um, that can spit out what we need so we've gone on quite the journey um, at BP and you've got to remember BP is I've never experienced such a complex operation so you think we're running a cafe we're running a forecourt with fuel and um, EV chargers and then we've got our convenience offer as well and all of those have their um, own operational standards there's a health and safety risk uh, within within all of those whether it's on the forecourt with the fuel or whether it's um, you know food expiring or whether it's making hot coffee so it's a massively complex operation and you're asking team members to be multidisciplined um, within their skill set which is a challenge in itself and the training you can imagine is is quite some is quite something and something that my training manager has been working on quite intensely to make sure that it's easy to understand it's bite size and we can hit the ground running when when our team members uh, join us so we have um, we are using Reflexus and we are using Logile at the moment. So Reflexus for our WFM tool and then Logile for our forecasting um, and budgeting tool, essentially. You uh, yourselves actually helped us with our time and motion studies back at Christmas last year. So we measured um, every single task that happens in our site um, to allow us to have a bottom-up workforce management tool um, and understand the inputs to that. What I was, I don't think I was shocked by it, but the outcome 
was twofold one and I think I think everybody goes through this journey we realized that actually we have definitely got a productivity factor within our sites because we uh we probably weren't budgeting for all the hours that we should have done given the amount of tasks that we're asking and yep. there's there's two things that we need to do there right so one is how do we simplify those tasks or how do we remove them um Personally, I think any task that's being taken place on the shop floor is time away spent from our customers. So how do we really, really simplify that and try and centralise as much of that process as possible? And then second to that, I was quite shocked about how much time was not spent on the shop floor. So we've we've got we've got a true balance to sort of go after there. So anyway, we did we did the workforce management tool um, and saw the inputs come through. We then have some decisions to make around, obviously, everybody's trying to save. We've got a bit of a cost piece going on. And therefore, we had to make some real decisions about what are the processes that are absolutely necessary. So um, based on the bottom up, uh, we found that obviously we had more hours being required to run our operation than we were probably building into our previous labour models, which meant that we had to make some decisions around tasks. Now, some tasks we've looked at to simplify or remove if they weren't adding value. The ambition is to uh, drive a zero back office mentality to ensure that all of our teams are on the shop floor. And then we kind of split tasks down into risk profiles. So those which were absolutely necessary to run a clean and and safe operation uh, particularly around food safety so uh, Nadine touched on it earlier that we work um, closely with our MS partners that means that we have a fresh food offering within our sites and therefore obviously expired food um, is one of those risks so making sure that those tasks and those checks are being done absolutely every single day to keep us safe and compliant is is important the second is then the minimum manning right so obviously we need to do pump authorizations when people um, walk onto our forecourt um, and other tasks that are necessary to keep our operation going and then third is those non-value add tasks and I think I spoke to it earlier around how do we simplify them so I'll give you a really dull example but one that um, comes up time and time again is we get newspapers delivered every day and then we have to return them if they're not sold. Actually, that's a really laborious process um, for our site team. So how do we either outsource that? How do we make it easier? A lot of it's done by pen and paper um, at the moment. So how do we really simplify that task to allow our team members to do it quickly, efficiently, and then move on to so that they can really serve our customers? It's a an eye-opening process, isn't it? So really good you've got kind of a, a nice platform now that you can produce the forecast and budget from and a system that's easy to use for colleagues and has all the advantages of all the kind of colleague engagement apps and all the other bits that come around it. But it's that data, isn't it, that's giving you the ability now to make those decisions, understand where to focus, to make life easier for colleagues, to focus on customers. And I think we're, we're seeing it as well now in times where cost is being really challenged by rising energy rates and all the other things that are happening to be, to have that data to go back to to make those decisions stops people making arbitrary cuts of well we'll just cut the budget by 10 percent, and people have to work harder it's really fact driven and stop or remove the process then you can take the cost out of the budget and the hours rather than just make everybody run faster Absolutely. And, you know, we are um, privileged and 
at a disadvantage at the same time of the fact that we are a 24-hour business so we have um it's within our gift to move tasks tonight right so when it's quieter for our team members on the shop floor obviously we have less teams on but we always have to have a minimum of two people to keep that site open to be safety compliant that means that we can move tasks into the evening which which is a benefit in itself and then lots of other people don't have the the opportunity or they put on twilights or early shifts mm-hmm. but that potentially then gives an incremental cost they're not used to some great foundational stuff there that will build on for the future some great work going on in terms of looking at the process the non-value add freeing up that time for customer mm-hmm. so if we finish on the future because this really interests me everyone knows you know everyone's been to a bp everyone's filled their car up at a bp we know we've had a coffee from wild bean maybe a sandwich from mms on the way so we get it but actually the world is changing rapidly isn't it of absolutely fast forward in two years i'm probably driving my electric car to a bp i've probably got to wait for I don't know, it's going to get quicker and quicker, isn't it, to charge a battery or swap them in and out, whatever it means. But I'm not going to win out pay go. I'm going to wait for 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes. So now you've got me for, let's call it 30 minutes. So what what am I going to be looking to do in one of your sites in the future? How How is it going to change? Where's the thinking going? Sam, you're absolutely right. Um, And we need to think about our proposition because it's not just a BP that's going to be putting charges in. It's charges, I mean, you would have seen them uh, coming into supermarkets. I'm sure they're coming into fast food outlets as well. So how do I get people to come to us rather than going for, say, a Big Mac um, somewhere else? So we really have to think about our proposition. Now, we are gifted. We've got 1,200 sites. Nadine touched on it earlier. So, um, And we've got great locations of our sites. So hopefully that's a draw in itself. But we do need to think about our operation. If you go into a BP forecourt at the moment, you're unlikely to see any dwell space. You're unlikely to see any seating area. Um, and that's something that we really need to think about. So we're actually trialing at the moment what a cafe would look like uh, in one of our forecourts. How do we um, bring it to life? And not just, um, and we do great food, by the way, I would highly recommend uh, cheese and bacon turnover. But actually, <laughs> how do we how do we bring um probably a more sit-in proposition from a food perspective. So how do we create fresh food that people can enjoy whilst their car's charging? Um, and that comes with, and if I put my uh, OPEX hat back on, how do I how do I model for that? How do I, that's a completely different operation. You know, we're, we're used to making barista coffees um, and, and cooking um, the pasties, et cetera, and sausage rolls. But actually fresh food is something completely different and that, that requires a whole different labour model and operation behind it as well. So we're trialling a few bits at the moment. In terms of the future of the forecourt, who knows? You might have um, blended propositions. So you might have fuel and EV. You might have sites that have a demographic that are EV focused and maybe you reduce your pumps. Um, it's all stuff that we're looking at uh, in the future and, and trying to understand where our customer habits are changing and how we can and how we can be there for, for them. Nadine, any other bits to add to that? Yeah, I think I think it's really exciting as I think we will transition more um, um, into food service, which will become increasingly important um, for our business. So I think that, you know, the future of someone being able to um, pull up, charge their car, grab a bite to eat, make a few phone calls 
and actually pick up a little bit of top-up shopping um, mm. while they're there as well. So, yeah, re- really exciting um, future ahead of us. And it, it kind of brings us full circle almost back to the start because then you've got a whole exciting world for colleagues of new skill sets because now I, I might need to be able to prepare fresh food, cook fresh food, do things really differently. So, again, comes full circle back to keeping people motivated new skill sets may even be new roles in the future who knows um so exciting times but at the same time must be scary because we're all trying to predict the future and we're all Mm going to get it slightly right and we're all going to get it slightly wrong as well yeah amy nadine we'll pause there uh fascinating chat fascinating chat i you know it's kind of a, a world we've worked in with you slightly but finding out more and more is um is amazing and hopefully for the people listening some really good insight final question for both of you from me then is what's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given um we'll go russian roulette because somebody's going to get some time to think so we'll start with amy Oh, I knew you'd come to me first. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. That wasn't Russian roulette at all. Um, best bit of business advice. We buy boxes, we sell boxes is probably um, the best bit of advice I, I've been given. And the reason that is, is because we need to keep it simple. We need to keep it simple so that we can drive a brilliant service to our customers. And it's funny, Nadine and I were chatting before we got onto this podcast about how sometimes, in, and in any business, um, we sweat the small stuff too much but actually if you break it down we buy boxes we sell boxes um and we need to remember that sometimes particularly to ensure that you get a nice work-life balance as well right it's easy to easy to get stressed and anxious given everything that's going on at the moment but just breaking it back down to we buy boxes we sell boxes like that so we're we're expecting good things now Nadine because you've had time to think best business advice I've ever had is almost never forget where you come from so I always find it um, for me it's really important um, that you continue to walk in the shoes of others and uh, and understand their challenges and understand their needs both for store teams and for our customers yeah because once the boxes stop selling you've got a real problem then absolutely brilliant Nadine Amy absolute pleasure to catch up really appreciate your time and thanks for coming on Thank Thank you for having us. Thank you.